I begin this episode by acknowledging the Ngunnawal and Nanyambri people, the traditional owners of the land on which I live and work. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners of this podcast. Nisambulvanaka. Welcome to the Coconut Wireless Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lardner. Now, I've got an, an amazing guest for you this episode. It's a woman by the name of Fipe Pruce, who's, um, oh, she's called uh, Phoebe to some of her friends. And she is uh, one of the co-owners of Living Coco, which is this amazing uh, company, which you'll hear about, obviously, in this episode. And um, their, 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 their ethics and um, their, their history and their story are, are so, so, so interesting. So I won't, I won't ruin any of it uh, here, but uh, just to tell you that it, it's, uh, it's, you're definitely in for a treat uh, with this, this episode. Now, before we get into that, and I won't keep you long, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just add a disclaimer for this episode. There is a little bit of um, background noise throughout the episode. Uh, at a couple of points, my, my dog... Uh, um, Lenny goes goes wild in in the other part of the house, and you that that comes through. Uh, I'm afraid to say pretty clearly. Um, look, yeah, it's uh, I, I actually stopped the recording at, uh, at one point to go and deal with him, but yeah, it, there's a dog within five kilometres of our house, uh, so obviously that set that set Lenny off. Um, so I, I really apologise uh, about that. Uh, especially, yeah, you know, with with a with a guest as as wonderful as Fipe on, uh, yeah, it was it's very unfortunate, but couldn't be avoided. Uh, you know, <laughs> Lenny Lenny lives in a house too, so um, it's uh, it's been uh, it's it's been about twenty episodes uh, almost uh, before Lenny decided to uh, to to stick his stick his head into the podcast, and and this was the one. So apologies on that. There's also a um, some sort of an alert tone that that pops up throughout the episode. Um, I'm not sure where or how it was coming from uh, on the computer. I, I, I was while we were recording, checking everything, closing down everything else, apart from the um, the Skype tap. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that sort of pops up. Uh, a few times throughout the episode. Uh, look, it, it doesn't, you know, you can still hear everything that's going on. It's just, it, you, these things are a little bit of a distraction. So I apologize for that. Uh, but but uh, apart from that, uh, the episode's amazing. Uh, yeah, Fipe was was so wonderful to, to speak with. And um, yeah, I, I really encourage everyone to uh, to uh, engage with her and her, her business, Living Coco. Um, after you've uh, listened to this episode. Uh, l- lastly, just an update on Isaac Nasendra, who was the, the guest on last week's podcast, you'll remember. Um, he was, uh, yeah, obviously a fantastic guest, and he the election was um, last Saturday, uh, as of this recording. Um, as, as Isaac said, he, he, Bankstown is a uh, very, very, very safe Labour seat. It's one of the safest in the state. And so Labour did win that election in Bankstown. Uh, but as, as Isaac said, you know, he, he, he sort of went into it with his, with his mind and his eyes open, uh, as to the possibilities of, of this, um, of this election for him and, and, and the party. And for him, the main thing was, uh, being an inspiration and being a role model for, uh, other young Pacifica people who, you know, saw him, he, he was very, he ran a very visible campaign and he was out in the community a lot. And the, the, uh, I think the, um, the, the main aim for him was to inspire people to, 
take you know, take up causes. Not not yeah, you know, if it's not politics, um, you know, he you know, he just he just wanted people to be passionate about something and to be um, mobile and visible and and vocal about whatever their their passion is. Uh, which which he did. You know, uh, I've had you know even. Since that episode's come out, I've had two people reach out to me about uh, you know, speaking about how inspired they were by Isaac. So uh, shout out to Isaac uh, and and all of the uh, candidates, almost all of the candidates uh, in the uh, in in the state elections over the past weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, every everyone's uh, everyone seemed to be sort of reaching out and and looking to represent their communities in various ways. Uh, so that's certainly something to be applauded. Um, well, once again, please follow Isaac on the, uh, on his socials that I linked in the last episode, uh, because he's, uh, yeah, he, he's not going away. He, he's, uh, he's still going to be doing a lot of amazing things within the community and he needs your support and, uh, and he, yeah, just follow him because yeah, it's, um, it, it's an exciting space to, to watch. Look, um, that's it for, for the housekeeping and all of the, uh, lead in, uh, here's my chat with Fipe Bruce. Uh, my guest on the Coconut Wireless today is Fipe Prius, a woman of Samoan descent who is a co-founder of Living Coco, which is a company which creates ethical cacao products mainly from beans sourced from Samoa. Fipe, welcome to the Coconut Wireless podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> yeah, good to have you. Have you on. Um, just to start us off, could you tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess to start with, I'd like to acknowledge the land that I'm on to be able to sit with you and, and to Talanoa and talk about what we do here. So I'm on Wurundjeri and Bururong country um, of the Kulin Nations, and uh, my business is in Nam, or also known as Melbourne. Um, a little bit about myself is, you know, as you said, I am from Samoan descent. My mother is from the village of Vaiusu, my dad from Vailima. Um, I grew up in uh, New Zealand in Mangere, uh, Mangere South Auckland girl, um, but has also spent a, a lot of time back home in Samoa, um, even well before our business Living Coco kickstarted. Um, I started off as a, I started studying uh, performing arts. So I'm a performing artist, mainly in um, cultural performances, um, Polynesian dance and classical guitar and then I moved to getting my undergrad in accounting and business management which is so opposite right <laughs> but I you know it's also helped me as a performing artist to have those kind of skills too and help in our business um I then did my postgrad in Melbourne in um, community engagement in the arts um and see myself as a community development practitioner so you know everything that I do, whether it's in the arts industry, whether it's in food, um, it's all about supporting a community, responding to a community need, and you know, helping develop uh, a system or a strategy to uh, help help us all grow. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I'm I'm, I'm so excited to to hear about your. Um, your traditional dance, like the traditional dance work that you do, because um, as you and many of the listeners would know, it's um, it's such an important tie back to our roots and 
and and who we are. are you, is party like is party your work? Like, do you see a lot of young people engaging in like in in the in the traditional dance dances as well? Yeah, especially in Melbourne, it's growing. Um, it's growing substantially, actually. Uh, when I first moved to Melbourne, um, I didn't see it so much, but I was also living in areas that didn't have a huge Pacific Island community. Mm -hmm. um, over the last ten years, I've moved back to the western suburbs. I've been in Melbourne for about 20 years. Mm. The last 10 years, uh, I moved back to the western suburbs. I actually came back because I wanted to find um, I wanted to find my peeps. I wanted to find people yeah. that, that I saw my reflection in um, uh, and ended up teeing up with um, a couple of amazing uh, community practitioners to create an event called My Island Dream which was a response to a need. A lot of young people saw what was happening in Polyfest in Auckland and they wanted something to help them grow and understand their cultural backgrounds, especially, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them like, I'm Samoan, I'm Tongan, but they've never they've never touched foot back on their homelands. Sure. So um, uh, getting confidence through performance, uh, knowing a lot of the songs, the chants and the dances, mm -hmm. you know, connect you to your, to your lineage, to your, to your land. But um, and also part of our history, you know, a lot of those songs uh, without the written language back home, you know, yeah. many years ago, it all comes through in those songs and chants. So you're learning so much all together. And My Island Dream was like a very mini version of Polyfest. Sure. Started with eight and then went to 12 schools. Hey. But, um, but yeah, just a, like a showcase, not a competition, just a showcase sure. of what we had learned over 10 weeks. Is, is that something that's... Um... Uh, reoccur? Uh, um, we've had two so far. COVID shut it down for a while. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I used to run a lot of Indigenous uh, cultural festivals here in Australia, not just with Pacifica. Um, have also worked in um, Indigenous communities in Northern Territory, also in Canada. Um, helped run like a Ashkenaz, which is the Jewish, the largest Jewish cultural festival in the world. Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, bringing together my understanding of business, community development, and as an artist, activating spaces like cultural festivals and places we can celebrate who we are was really important to me. But unfortunately, you know, COVID shut that down um, and helps you, well, it didn't help, but, you know, you start rethinking a lot of things and where you're heading and living close. Living Hoko, our cacao manufacturing space just expanded hugely. So, yeah. You know, you only have 24 hours of the day. I like to think I have 28. I don't. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I've had to put my focus Yeah, powerful now. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, look, just um, turning turn, turning focus to Living Coco, how did the idea for the business first come about? Yeah, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I just started dating my partner, Glenn. Mm. and he's one of the co-founders of Living Coco. Um, it actually started with uh, him going on a trek in Papua New Guinea. So he was trekking through Papua New Guinea and on, the, on their first uh, night of the trek, they were attacked. Um, they were attacked and two people that worked for the trekking company, two of the porters that worked for the trekking company were killed in the attack. Um, a third one died in hospital. Many of the people on the on the trek were injured, including Glenn. Um, Glenn worked really hard to bring uh, some of the porters, and uh, one of them was Andrew, to 
Australia for medical help um, mm. was back in Papua New Guinea. He wasn't getting, I, I guess, you know, the kind of help that you would get in a Western space and the sure. um, facilities. And he wasn't able to walk back home um, with what he was getting. So here we got a lot of, he got a lot of pro bono support from one of the hospitals wow. and um, Andrew was here for six months. While Andrew was here, there was lots of conversation about, um, you know, well, what can he do now? He's been doing these long tricks and, you know, going bush for such a long time. What can you do when you go from being able to walk for days and days and days to, you know, 30 minutes at a time? And um, the conversation of cacao came up, um, the conversation that his village had hundreds of plants or trees. Um, so as those conversations were happening in that space, uh, I guess Glenn and my relationship was developing and he realized that my whole fa my family have a history in, of cacao and cultivation in Samoa. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so it all came together as in like us heading to Samoa, connecting with the right people that could um, share resources with Papua New Guinea on how to cultivate properly, getting Andrew in touch with the right people in PNG to support the export of his cacao. Yeah, um, wow. So, uh, you know, living cocoa seems very someone centric, <laughs> probably sure. the, like the face of it. But to be honest, like it did start uh, with an idea of supporting PNG. Yeah, wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Uh, and and so how how was Glenn, Glenn doing? He's he's recovered. Uh, yeah, yeah, he got bashed on the head with the butt of a rifle while yeah, trying right. to of his um, tent. Um, during the attack and he's doing he's doing great um Andrew's doing great as well yeah. they've had a lot of um they finally got their payouts from you know government and from mm -hmm. insurance and and the companies that they worked for so he's taken another path and gone into um fishing yay okay <laughs> he was like oh i'm gonna get a boat <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good oh, i'm glad oh, i'll get a boat too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no like I mean, what what a what a tragic set of circumstances. But um, I guess, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that that they're doing well. Though that's mm -hmm. that, that's excellent. Um, that's yeah, I love I love that story about how how. So you you're are you are you able to talk a little bit about um, the the history of cacao um, of, of, of of cacao? I guess farming in in your village in Samoa. Yeah, sure. So. Um... Uh, okay, there's a couple of different histories. Yeah, yeah, go, please. <laughs> uh, depending on, you know, who you get to speak to and who who, who is ready to share. Sure. Um, on, on one side, there is the history of the Germans bringing cacao to Samoa to cultivate um, uh, and to cultivate to a commercial level. So there was a time in Samoa where three quarters of Samoa was either cacao or coffee plantations. Yeah, wow. They were known as the, the German plantations. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side, um, Laulu Sisole John Stanley, who was the high chief of our village and our whole district, um, he worked for an organization called WESTEC that were doing all the post-harvesting processes, so the fermentation processes and the drying process, and then exporting it. But then he could see the opportunity of um, motivating um, different villages, Matai, to, to grow koko 
on their custodial lands and to sell it to West Tech and to ensure that they got the best price. So um, Papa was incredible at doing that and he was uh, always someone for the people. Um, and then you have my great-grandfather on my father's side who is of German descent, who was one of the largest exporters of cacao from Samoa to Germany. Mm -hmm. um, he came down through Togo, which is in um, northeastern kind of Africa, I think. I think I might get that wrong, but no. it's in northern Africa. He uh, was deployed there, and then he was sent down to um, the Pacific Islands. So in Togo, there is a plantation, um, like a cocoa plantations, many cocoa plantations there that were also started by the Germans, and then also coming to the Pacific Islands and activating the space in the Pacific Islands. Mm -hmm. I recently just met um, Carl Preuss, who is like my, I think my second cousin or my hey. wrong, but you know, another family that my great grandfather had mm -hmm. on his way down. Um, and he is, you know, African, uh, African German man who has a cocoa plantation in Togo. Wow. So we connect every few months and, and chat so which is a beautiful um connection i've just had there but um yeah i guess that's the history within my family of koko and the exporting it yeah. um, depending on who you speak to also though in some villages many people say that koko was there before the germans sure. you know, similar to cassava similar to other vegetation that was brought over from um south america and brought over when the Pacific Islanders, where the Polynesians were traveling through the, you know, were seaboarding mm. throughout um, the Americas. And yeah. Yeah. And um, as far as I know, there, and I may be wrong, um, but that there hasn't been a full test of all the cocoa trees within Samoa to see if they root back, because there's many different kinds of varieties. Sure. You know, and, uh, um, but yeah you know, step yeah. that might happen in the future or it may have already happened, but I, I, I yeah. don't know as yet. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. Uh, look, you, you've, you've shown that uh, you're a great case study for like business owners like yourself who uh, operate outside of the islands, um, still being able to take advantage of opportunities to engage with uh, primary producers and suppliers based in the islands. Um, could you just talk a little bit about... Um, Firstly, the, the importance of those relationships, but also, like, I don't think people understand how rich the, you know, and how plentiful the resources are and and, and suppliers they're ready to sort of engage with businesses overseas. Um, some people understand how rich the yeah, islands yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you can see, um, you know, I think, it's a very interesting time for the Pacific Islands. I, there are a lot of island, countries that have their eyes on us. You know, we're, we're a place where natural resources are plenty. You know, if you look at places like Papua New Guinea and Western Papua and spaces that have lost um, a lot of blood over their natural resources and, um, and colonization. Um, as a business owner, you know, I wasn't a chocolate maker when we started living cocoa. You know, there was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a chocolate maker. I'm going to go and do that. The path was really, um, how do we activate a space that um, that creates a trade and not aid approach in the Pacific? 
How do we ensure that what's happening with cacao in many other spaces around the world doesn't happen in the Pacific? Mm-hmm. Cacao has the largest uh, slave trade uh, labor in the world, one of the largest, and it's mainly in the um, African Ivory Coast area. Um, it was like, how do we make sure that our farmers, um, when they do start, when they become export ready, um, they are supported and they do get the value of their koko? And also, how do we show the world that there is a way to do business, a uh, gentle way with alofa and um, and not with... Uh, um, not this very kind of um, transactional. Yeah. Uh, it's all about the money and pushing, pushing up our profits to, yeah. yeah uh, uh, you know, people that are doing that kind of way of business. There's always there always seems to be some indigenous culture on the other side of the world that's suffering because of it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with Living Coco, it was also about well, how do we, you know, ensure that we're working with the right people in Samoa? Those relationships mm. are so important, you know, and in the islands, relationships are important. Yeah. No one wants to work with the dickhead. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you can smile, smile it a mile away. You know, mm. you can, um, we're very, we're so good at reading energy, you know, in a room. And I think we've been trained how to read energy since we were kids, you know, trying to figure out where our parents are at, trying to mm. figure out how to serve in a space um, at events, um, how to understand people's needs, how to understand when the ikuki, where the cup of tea is empty and we need to bring another one for family, you know. All that training that we had as a kid that we complain about sometimes, mm. you know, really comes into how we connect as adults and, and continue to do business. Um, so the importance in having the right people, um, I feel like supporting and was really important. Um, and, you know, Sava'i Koko, so Salimu Salimu and Rosie Va'ai from Sava'i Koko have been massive and for women in business um really great in um helping us helping us reconnect to the farmers question <laughs> yes absolutely thank you thank you so much one of the things that i love most about uh you know, your, your about living coco uh, as i've done a bit a little bit of research on you is how important uh sound ethics are to, to you and, and how you, you built it into the DNA of the business. Um, could you just talk to me about, um, yeah, I guess the importance of uh, behaving ethically uh, in, in business for you guys? Um, I think we've all worked in spaces that didn't feel right for us, um, that went against our values. Uh, and especially as Fasika people, uh, in Australia, there are many spaces that uh, can have a different energetic flow to what we're used to, to put it nicely, yeah. <laughs> put it really nicely. Um, and so starting Living Coco was like, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to create that space for anyone that the Coco touches. You know, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that there's a shared valued approach and that, um, you know, shared capitalism is, means that the, the power doesn't sit within the marketing and the retail space, which actually happens in traditional capitalist spaces. Mm. It is shared throughout the whole supply chain. Mm. And we all evenly get, you know, what is needed from this koko. 
and feel honored along the way. So people will, and through, you know, deep conversation in Talonor, we understand why some prices go up or why they go down and things. And we, we share that openly. Um, also, even within our team here um, that work with us, I, I always want to create a great culture, a culture of understanding and support. We predominantly um, employ uh, women, mums. Um, we keep within the mum hour times, you know, if there's, um, if they want to adjust their time, we're not a cafe or anything, so we don't have to open to the public or anything. We're not set by those kind of boundaries. So, you know, um, conversations with our staff on, you know, how do they want their day to look, how, what flows best for them. Um, sometimes we come in to work and we'll even say to each other, like, I'm at 10% today. Oh, <laughs> 5%. Let's adjust our uh, what we need to get done today to be more gentle instead of pushing for deadlines and things like that. You know, tomorrow will be a better day for deadlines and we'll get a better result if we deal with it tomorrow. Today, we'll just put labels on charts. You know, <laughs> it's still work that needs to be done. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and like, I feel like that all builds into our ethics and, and understanding. Like, I, I want full transparency of our values of our supply chain. I want um, full transparency on the way we do work here. And I also want to know my stuff, you know, deeply. I want when people ask us a question about Coco or about the fact that we're a zero waste manufacturing space, the fact that we're, you know, now solar powered. Um, we're trying to do what I've seen our people do, you know, since the beginning of time using our natural resources. Mm -hmm to support the business, you know, to, to support our business, uh, reusing and recycling things to also support the business. You know, we're constantly reusing and recycling, even the way we cultivate our lands, reusing parts of the trees to place, as we clip it back, to place under the trees as natural pesticides. Oh, wow. You know, there's things that we don't need the chemicals for because we have had a deep relationship in that space that we know how how to how to uffy it and how to support it. Yeah, beautiful. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, and I really, really, um, uh, yeah, not not congressional, but like I really applaud you for 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 building that into your business because it's um it's extra effort and that's important. But um, a lot of people sort of skip past that that aspect of it. So no, I really applaud it. It does make a difference. Well, I mean, you know, you 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 see it firsthand. It, it, it really does make a difference, Jeremy. And um, But it also, I understand it took us a long time to get here. You know, we had a lot of planning of, you know, when can we be, you know, solar powered? When can we do things like that? Um, I know these things take time within every business, but I also feel like if we continue to talk about it, it, it hopefully will become more of a norm and people will want to go down that avenue. Yeah, cool. Beautiful. Uh, now, congratulations are in order because you uh, you and Living Coco uh, recently released uh, Panina, the uh, new uh, cacao-infused non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Um, can you just talk to me? Uh, yeah, I work in, um, as a lot of listeners would have heard many times now, I work in the uh, hospitality industry. So I've seen the growth of that non-alcoholic beer market. Um, could you just talk to me about how 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 you how how you and, and Living Coco came into um, yeah I, I guess the uh, the non alcoholic beer, uh, beer yeah, industry. Sure. <laughs> um, 
So uh, because we are zero waste, we use all components of the cacao bean. Where most chocolate tiers or chocolate makers will just use the bean to make the cocoa or the chocolate, we use the butt with the skin to make cacao husk tea, to make body scrubs. Um, we had an abundance of tea um, over a period of making a lot of chocolate for a client that we started looking at different brewers, um, you know, whether it be whiskey or um, beer or, you know, different spaces like that and sending samples and um, and then just happened to bump into uh, Chilla and Kay who run Brewery Cola. It's a... Um, it's a brewer, he, he's Fijian, oh, yeah. and uh, he owns a brewer in Ocean Grove, which is about an hour and a half from here. Um, we spun with them the idea of trying a, um, a beer with cacao. The first one he came out was was an, was an alcoholic beer, mm. and we were like, this tastes great, but it's completely off-brand. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're all about health and intentional ways of being and supporting mm. your system and your body. Um so then we he tried a couple of attempts and made a non-alcoholic beer. And you're right, it's a really growing industry. And I think as someone who was, you know, born in the 70s and saw a lot of saw a lot of booze, you know, yeah. I saw a lot of booze with me and my friends, with my community. Like, you know, uh, yeah. I saw um I saw the celebration parts of it, and then mm -hmm. I saw the the not so great parts of it too. Um having non-alcoholic drinks that still it has that alcoholic kind the alcohol flavor so mentally it does kind of just relax you you know yes. you you think you're having a beer you think mm. you're having a, a glass of wine but you 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 don't lose yourself in it yeah. um which i think is really great so uh you know uh panina beer was important to create for glenn who it was glenn's mm. uh idea and myself uh partially because we wanted to show a different way of enjoying a, a, a beverage of that kind mm -hmm. and you know it's just great to have Samoa on, on a can like that yes absolutely. Yeah, no our, a pacific nation on a can that is you know supporting a non-alcoholic way of being um even our motives like our pacifica designs on the can like everything's done intentionally because even with our packaging for our chocolates and things like that like I want to pick up something and feel pride for our people and our culture and 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 for what we're actually experiencing too. Yeah, definitely. And your your customers would would resonate that would resonate with them as well. So yeah. that's, that's excellent. Um one one thing that I've I've learned firsthand, um, and thank you so much because you, you you've obviously sort of been um spreading the word through through your network, but you you have been um, you have cultivated this amazing network of other uh, Pacifica business owners who you, know, you you all seem to sort of support and champion one another. Um, how how important is that for for business, not just small businesses, but businesses in general, to not see everyone else's competition, but to actually build positive relationships and, and support one another the way that you and um, and like Fear Fear Art and uh, LV Studios do? Um, when I first got into this industry, I noticed the competition. Mm. I noticed when I was like, hey, hey, like yeah. I make chocolate too. People were like, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, it, was, right. it would, 
And it was a very masculine space. So having a female who knew cacao, like deeply knew cacao, um, and knew blood in the space was, uh, I don't know, threatening, confusing, um, but it was definitely something that wasn't wanted in a lot of spaces. And it wasn't because I was coming out for your book or anything. I was mm -hmm. just asking questions that, you know, as I said, uh, when people see things as just an ingredient, they can't answer the deeper questions. Mm. But when you know the ingredient and it's connected to the family, you know all the steps that that ingredient has gone through and all the people that it is connected to to get to your plate, to get yeah. to here in Australia. Working with Pacific Island businesses is really important for us, um, especially as our business grows, uh, being able to um, refer work to them, refer different clients and things like that, and, and seeing all of our businesses grow together is, is amazing. Um, I heard, I can't remember who said it, but I heard once a few years ago before I started Living Coco that we're on the wrong side of the counter. And I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, Pacific Islanders, we're on the side of the counter that's always buying stuff. Mm. And I was like, you're right. Like we don't have, I wasn't seeing at the time many Pacific Island businesses that were, you know, fronting the line or, you know, showing up in spaces that were predominantly um, Western Australian spaces. So being able to take um, Pacific Island businesses and, you know, all of us support each other on this journey that, you know, we come as a crew here, we come as a crew here, um, I, I think puts us all more on the map. And, you know, the more we support each other and do good work for our clients, for our community and the wider Australian community, the, the better it is for other Pacific Island businesses when, when they're seen by, by yeah. everyone else. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I, I really, um, it was really lovely to see, um, you know, and, and people have been sort of reaching out to me uh, to come on the pod and um, and they've been saying, yeah, yeah, no, 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 uh, the team at Living Coco, let me know about you. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. It's like this this sort of big family connection. So I really love that. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad they got it. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did, definitely. <laughs> Um, I ask, look, I ask almost everyone, everyone, especially business owners who come on about um, the importance of social media uh, to the businesses and what they do. And, and that's, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of um, fairly, yeah, it, everyone understands that now. But one thing about your social media is that it is so effective. Like, you know, it's everything's on brand. Your messaging is really clear and positive, of course. Um, how... How like how did you I guess learn to to harness social media the way that you have? Oh wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> life experience. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's mainly life experience. You know, um, you know that you're not going to catch people's eye if you're negative Nancy in the room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I definitely know that just from life experience that. When I walk into a space, I want to leave the space lighter and and feeling more positive and 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 not be a drainer, you know, and remind people gently of who we are, you know, without this crazy machine that we've been born into, um, not by choice. Uh, that, that, you know, deep down we we do, everyone has this set of values of, you know, we want to be safe, we want our families to be safe, we want our families to be healthy. Um, 
I truly believe that there is a individuality with each person, within each person. And, you know, even for our um, communities and diaspora, and we always think of communities and diaspora here in Australia as, you know, uh, the people of color, when um, I also see the largest community and diaspora is the Paolangis, you know, mm. extremely disconnected from lineage of the land. Um, but they know it, you know, they know that by going outside and spending time in nature and connecting to the to the whenua, it ignites something and releases their stress hormone, hormones and things like that. Um, sorry, releases their stress. Uh, so I always try and champion that through our talanoa, our talks on social media, just reminding people of who who we are or who, who we would aspire to be. Um, hope that it just, you know, plants a seed in different ways and reminds people um, gently because I'm not someone who can, I can't deal with, you know, the person yelling at me doing 500 sit-ups. You know, I can't yeah, do yeah. that. I really like gentle communication. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, gentle, nurturing um, energy that, that's how I want to come through in living Coco. And like with every retailer or space that buys our cacao and wants to share it with their community, like we have a whole strategy and like, well, how do we support, how do we support them? You know, for us, it's not just, okay, we sold, we sold 10 packets to this guy, great tick money in the bank. Like for us, we go, okay, we're going to do a social media strategy on how we can support getting it off their shelf. Yeah. You know, uh, how do we, you know, we're going to do tastings. If it's a shop, a retail space, we're going to book in four tastings a year. Um, and every time we have a new product, we'll come and do a tasting at your space. We'll speak to them about how do we promote things in-house. You know, what are they comfortable with? What's their main channels of um, marketing? And we realize that it's, again, just fostering <coughs> their, these relationships understanding the need of that community and showing up for it yeah. if we show up for the need of this retailer and we help them solve a problem it's going to benefit us it's just continuous service yep perfect um th th thank you that's that's um yeah because it's just it's an approach that i think like it's becoming more and more common but um yeah no that positivity through social media is is becoming so so important so it's really good to see you um champion that and again it seems to be at sort of the core of how you interact with that space so that's excellent um there would be a lot of young people both inside and outside of the pacifica community who would look at living coco and draw such inspiration from from what you do and what you build and hopefully it would inspire them to embark on their own business journeys what's like one or two um early important steps that you would advise them to take when they when they're setting out on their journey to to build a business or a brand uh this is gonna sound strange <laughs> after everything i've just spoken about <laughs> i see me getting into like business mode yeah um so there is a book called profit first and um i know it sounds weird after i've just yeah. <laughs> teaches you really basically how to how to price things mm -hmm. how to work backwards for pricing um also how to uh separate your profit so 
um, let's say, for example, you have five bank accounts. When you set up a business, one is for your income for the business, one, where all the income and sales come through. One is for wages. One is for uh, monthly expenses, like literally administration and things, expenses. And then, um, and then one is like savings. And it's so this book will teach you how to divide your profit, even if you're making not much profit, how to make sure you divide that profit so your money gets reinvested into your business the best way possible. So you're not continuously pulling out of your pocket mm. to reinvest into your business, which I think was one of the hardest things for anyone. But I've also, you know, speaking to a lot of Pacific Islanders, we have. Um, a lot of challenges within um, being comfortable with a money narrative. And um, we've always supported by, you know, handing over money or, or um, you know, uh, offerings and gifts and, and things like that. So to accept money um, can be really hard. Yeah, 100%. You know? And almost like, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. You can have that for free, you know. Mm. And I still do it, you know. Yeah. I, I We all do it. Um, but it's managing that, um, keeping that under control. Um, even if you put a boundary, like I'm going to do five pro bono events or five pro bono offerings a year. And that's it. So when people come to me, I'm like, I'm so sorry, we've done our quota, but if you apply for next year, yeah. like, please let me know in January and we'll schedule you throughout the year. So we still know that we can hit, um, our, uh, areas of service and offering, um, but we're not, uh, you know, completely destroying our business because of our lack of uh, boundaries around money and understanding money coming in and money going out. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of businesses, new businesses don't last a year. You know, they, they, um, they fold within a year, small businesses. And um, that's not understanding our pricing journey, not understanding how to deal with your profit and also, you know, keeping some control over what pro bono work we do and taking ourselves seriously. You know, you, you're running a business now. It's not a hobby. It's a business. Um, so, you know, having that kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's so that's so good to hear. Um, my, so my, my wife is, um, is a proud Yuan Radri woman. And she, um, she like a lot of uh, Indigenous people around sort of events like uh, NADOC and stuff like that, will get approached um, to do speaking events. And she, she said she'll always, obviously, um, there's, a, there's a, a fee that she charges, but she said she's shocked by how many people will do it for free and people who, I mean, no one can afford to sort of work for free, but, but yeah, people who could use that income will just sort of not sort of charge a fee. And so that's something that she definitely champions in that space. So it's so good to, um, yeah, to, to hear someone in the Pacific space talking about that. Cause it is like gift giving is, and generosity is such an ingrained part of our culture, but you're su supporting yourself is all, obviously yeah, so, yeah. so important as well. Right. <laughs> Pay rent, eat it. Yeah. Yeah, real yeah. <laughs> and especially like as a chocolate business, the amount of people that like I show up to the space, they're like, Oh, you didn't bring chocolate? Oh <laughs> my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, what do you do for work? I don't show you, see you showing up to my place offering free bookkeeping services. <laughs> <laughs> which, which we could use, right? But... <laughs> you would love it if you did. I'll pay you in chocolate. <laughs> um, what, what's, what's been the most rewarding part of owning, owning your own business? seeing directly and indirectly uh how living koko supports different communities um not taking ownership on growth and other spaces and stuff but you know just seeing ripple effects i think that like even the smallest ripple effect like even if you're planting a seed doing a podcast and, and plants a seed in someone and then someone coming back and saying i heard this and i went down this journey and thank you you know, I, it's the community development that brings so much pride for us. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in some, there was definitely milestones within our business, um, growth milestones. When we hit our first ton of cacao, we were like, whoa, this is massive. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we going to put it? <laughs> um, and we're now in, a, we built a factory and we're really blessed to build a uh, like a two-bedroom residence at the top so we live above the factory so alice cacao all the time (laughs) (laughs) and you know got our first six six thousand kilos so six tons came in uh in like september last year and that was huge like to know that from initially like 10 farms to now like nearly 400 farms Mm. uh domestic plot farms you know, I won't see all the 400 farms, but just like, whoa, that's huge. That's, you know, that's a trade that was never there eight years ago. That's yeah. an stream that was never there eight years ago. And just from consistency and showing up, even at the times where I was like, I need a job. <laughs> like, I need a job and I need hair dye, you know, just simple things that you're like, I just need for my own self-care that I couldn't afford. I was like, just keep showing up to your business, showing up to your business, and, you know, it all pays off. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, What would you say has been one of the most challenging parts of of starting your own business, apart from not being able to get the hair care products? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I got some more curly hair, all right? (laughs) They're going to tame it. No, I feel you. (laughs) It's not accepted in some areas. Uh, the hardest thing oh, I think the hardest thing is when you quit your job you know your other job and you move over full time into a space and you don't see income coming in every month or every fortnight like you used to I think yeah. that's really hard you realize um, how self-motivated you need to be mm. um, that how self-motivated and how you know it took a number of years before we even saw a profit. Um, as our business grew, we realized, oh, we needed another machine. You know, we needed a bigger machine to create this. You level up one machine, you need to level up all the machines. Yeah, sure. you just keep seeing all these choke points. So it's taken us years to even like be able to pay me a wage. And I uh, I pay my staff a wage and I'm just at a point where I can see that I can pay myself a wage now. Mm. So being able to show, still show up when 
previously I realized my self-worth was connected to that monthly income that was coming yeah. and when it wasn't coming through I felt like a failure I felt like business was a, was failing but then I started to realize the energy I have for myself is the energy that gets portrayed in my business yeah. and if I come through with a real scarcity mindset and desperate mindset like it shows like I'm here's an example the first the first company I knocked on the door to try and sell them chocolate um I was so caught up in my in everything that was going on with our business like I pretty much cried as I was trying to explain to them beauty of the chocolate they bought chocolate I don't know if it was a pity buy <laughs> I told, I'm like, pity buy. <laughs> but you know it made me realize that I really needed to you know be more confident in myself and my product and who I am and who this business was to champion it. It yeah. was, and it felt like a huge responsibility and the biggest challenge, but, but yeah, now I'm ready for it. Yeah. Beautiful. That's excellent. Um, outside we've spoken so much about, you know, how, how, how much work you, you, you and Glenn have had to put into living Coco. What do what do you do outside of work? Do you do you have time outside of work? Like, do you have hobbies or? <laughs> um, do I have hobbies? Um, yeah, I used to teach scuba diving. So um, oh. I and this like that's definitely something that reconnected me with Samoa. I was teaching scuba diving in Savaii for a while. Um, that's where I started to see a lot of the challenges that were also happening in Samoa, like the homelessness that was creeping up and things like that so it was like well, how do we activate spaces on land so people don't have to try and get into Apia and try and get jobs they can get mm. make money from home they can work yeah. from home yeah. <laughs> like we all want to do <laughs> um yeah so yeah I teach scuba diving but I, I still dive a lot yeah. um, I've uh it's my connection to the Moana is really important for me and something that I try and champion with a lot of our Pacifica community and our friends here. So every Sunday we have a meetup, like 7 a.m. at the Moana for a couple of hours. You know, with it, and it's through winter and it's through summer. Um, but we go there, we have deep conversations about what's going on within our lives and stuff. And then we do, you know, our ice water challenges and yeah. we uh, do that kind of stuff to also help us with our healing. Um, and that's branched off to, you know, some of the women. Uh, going for they're now doing swim classes and you know really wanting to connect deeper and get more confident in the water um, um i'm a performing artist so if i'm not working i'm writing music i'm writing lyrics i'm uh again i've been trying to write a lot of songs in samoan with my mum so beautiful my mum's an amazing uke player and she was always like, I oh, know I can't write, I can't write. And then I would come with like my English lyric, I'd be like, okay, what about this? And then she'll translate it and we would both start playing it. So um, we've got this thing happening, which is really yeah. whenever I go home. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, look, you've been so generous with your time and I really, really appreciate it. Um, just one last thing. I'm sure a lot of people listening to um, – to this podcast would want to reach out to you if they haven't already um and um and yeah look at your products and that kind of thing how can people how can people find you uh yeah sure we're on um facebook instagram uh tiktok um 
at living underscore koko or at living koko. Um, our website is www.livingkoko.com and um, or you can just email on p.proyce at livingkoko.com. Fantastic. Lovely. Well, look, thank you so much again, uh, Fipe. It's been wonderful having you on. Real eye-opener as well. Um, so thank you so much and um, all the best in the future. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Thank you so much for your time too. I really appreciate it. And and massive shout-out to our sister who uh, – who, who uh, championed for me to be on this show? <laughs> Shout out to Elena. She's really uh... <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, it was nice to find you through her. Like we've been listening to your podcasts in our space. Like we like to oh. listen to other Pacifica podcasts or music and stuff. So yeah, it's cool. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Continuing to inspire us. Lovely. Thank you. And that was my uh, that was my chat with Fipe from Living Coco. Uh, she yeah, absolutely wonderful. Uh, so such a such an uh, absolute honor and uh, and privilege to have her on the podcast. She's a very very busy woman, as you heard there, and uh, she's doing some amazing work. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just so 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 thrilled to have uh, had her and and her story on the podcast because yeah, it's just fantastic. Uh, yeah, even even the history that she shared with us of uh, her family's villages uh, in Samoa and their 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 history of cultivating uh, cocoa. Yeah, I had no idea about that. That's, yeah, that's that's such a that's such an amazing thing to 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 learn about uh, about about that that country and it's so so widespread as well. So um, yeah, no big 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 shout out to uh, to Fipe and her team. Uh, doing yeah, doing amazing work, and and wish them all the uh, all the best in their future endeavors. But it it seems like they've uh, they've got things well in hand. They're going to be very 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 uh, very much uh, all right and successful. Um, look, uh, that that's it for this episode. We did all the all, all the boring stuff at the start uh, with all the. Um, all of the housekeeping. So look, just as always, please keep sharing, liking, and uh, subscribing to the podcast. Uh, thank you to the people who've been doing it. Uh, thank you in advance to the people who will hopefully do it. And um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll catch you next week. Got another amazing guest lined up. So it's it's an exciting time for the podcast and, and hopefully for you, the listeners. Be good to each other, be good to yourselves, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>